0: I wonder if anyone knows what these three birds have in common. They've all got beaks, thank you for that. Yes, there's a sharp insight there. I think it's one of those questions where you either know or you don't Oh, Tom? Latin, no, we're not into Latin names. This is the Sunday, this is the Sunday morning service for goodness sake. No, as it, as it happens, as it happens, they were all the inspiration between the final design of the bullet train. This guy, um, Eiji, I think you pronounce it, Nakatsu, he was a bird watcher, he was an engineer, and he had responsibilities for the design of the bullet train in Japan. And in 1990, he had some issues. Because when the bullet train passed through a tunnel, it kind of created a a pocket of air, and when it came out of the tunnel, it it kind of, there was like a big bang. Um, It was too noisy. And so they had to work out how they could reduce the noise of the bullet train. And as a birder, um, Eiji Nakatsu thought, well, I wonder if we can turn to nature and find some lessons here. And he did, he turned to the kingfisher and the design of its beak, and that led to some improvements in aerodynamics, and that reduced the sound. And in fact, further study of the owl and the daily penguin, points if you recognise the species of penguin there, led to additional noise reductions. And so on the 22nd of March 1997, this new series of electric trains went into commercial service. 185 miles per hour, 75 decibels. At, At that time, that was the fastest train on Earth. Now, most of us uh, aren't bird watchers, and most of us aren't engineers, but we all have the opportunity to be observers of nature. And we all have the opportunity to learn from nature and to apply its lessons to our lives. And when we do that, we become lifelong learners from creation. And we find ourselves in the company of some very wise people indeed. Such as David, for example. David must have had plenty opportunity, I imagine, to be an observer of nature as a young shepherd. Personally, I can picture him just lying, lying on the grass with his uh, arms his arms behind his head, hands behind his head, looking up into the sky. And just observing, just observing the creative, the c- created world. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. So there he is, he's looking up, he's looking at this, this pale moon with its, with its light and its darkness and the glow it's casting over his sheep on the hillside. And he's counting these hundreds of specks of stars and he gives up because there's just too many to count. And he thinks, how can it be? How can it be that a God who created such a a vast expanse of of sky, a God who populated it, with a plethora of celestial wonders, how can such a God be interested in something as small and insignificant as me? And yet he is. And his wonder led to worship. Well, another wise person we find ourselves in the company of is Solomon, and again... By kind of following him, we can become a lifelong learner from creation. Whether as a child running around David's palace, maybe, or as a king wandering through his own, he spent time observing the busy comings and goings of the ant. Noticed, perhaps, a piece of bread that had been dropped, how the ants gathered around it, took it back to the nest. And he reflected and saw in their industry a lesson for life. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest." So whether it's life on the grand scale, the moon and the stars, or life in miniature on the ground, there are lessons to be learnt from nature. And from our third example of a lifelong learner from nature, we turn to the very wisest of the wise, Jesus himself. Now Jesus was exceptionally skilled at using the familiar aspects of nature, to make an observation about life. And he turned to the sparrow, for example, for an observation about anxiety. He said, actually, sparrows are as as common as anything. They're plentiful of them, they're easy to catch. You don't make a lot of profit on the market stall, so they're pretty insignificant in that sense. But he says, not one of them is overlooked by God. So if he cares about the sparrows, How much more does he care about you? Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Sorry, it's too far there. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. He goes on, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Or go up the bird scale says Jesus, and consider the crow or the raven. The Greek word can mean either. He says they aren't out there kind of following the seasons, you know, scattering their seed, watching it grow, gathering the harvest later in the year. They don't build pantries for themselves for storage, and yet God provides for them. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, they've no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Or take a look at the plant life around you, consider how the wildflowers grow, they don't labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these and he goes on so if that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire how much more will he clothe you David, Solomon Jesus consider consider the heavens consider the ant consider the sparrows Consider the ravens, the crows. Consider the wildflowers. We are invited into a planet-sized classroom to learn. There is an endless supply of breathtaking resources. There's no exam to sit. There's no pressure to learn. There is just this wide-open door of opportunity, of free Education for life. Now that word that Jesus uses, consider, has, according to my Greek reference source, these meanings. So uh, katanoio, I think is how you pronounce it. To pay attention, notice, observe, consider, contemplate. And it goes on, this word has a strong implication that the attention paid is intense, And the contemplation is broad and thorough, resulting in complete understanding. So it's not just a casual glance. There's intention involved here. On one occasion, the Jewish hierarchy tried to catch Jesus out with a question. Teacher, we know you speak and teach what is right. You don't show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right For us to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And it then says that Jesus saw through their duplicity. Catanoio. He paid attention to, he noticed, he looked at, observed, considered their craftiness. Or Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he's referring back to Exodus. And Moses' encounter with the burning bush says that when Moses saw the burning bush, he went over to get a closer look, to inspect it, to examine it, to consider it, to study it. One final example. The author of Hebrews writes, Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Consider him. Contemplate him. Think deeply about him. Catanoio, consider him. So although this lifelong learning opportunity from nature is available to all at no financial cost, there is a price to pay in terms of attention, and that commodity is becoming increasingly rare. In his brilliant book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman writes, the often used phrase, pay attention, is apt. You dispose of a limited budget of attention. Now, the technology revolution of the last century has brought us so many advantages. But it has also eaten into our attention budget. So, 50 years ago, preachers were decrying that a television generation couldn't listen to a 50-minute sermon without becoming distracted. Today, they say, a social media generation can't listen to a 10-minute sermon without becoming distracted. We have an attention issue, and our society has recognized it. So this graph here shows the number of publications relating to mindfulness since the 1980s. Now, the trend is clear, it's unsurprising. You can't see the little words at the bottom, so let me just explain those. The blue bars reflect the number of articles on mindfulness, and the orange bars reflect the number of reviews, academic reviews on mindfulness, published in this period. So computers started to appear regularly in people's homes in the 90s, in the early 2000s, platforms like MySpace, Facebook, remember that? Facebook, no, MySpace, YouTube started to appear, and then shortly afterwards, interest in mindfulness just took off. Now, maybe it's a coincidence, but I don't think so, that these leaps forward in technology, the greatest drain on our attention, are also accompanied by paralleled leaps forward in research into paying attention. So mindfulness is a bit of a buzzword now, isn't it? It's a bit of a buzzword. But it's actually an ancient concept. And instead of just being an antidote to stress and to help us becoming more present in the moment, as the phrase goes, it's also a doorway to lifelong learning. So Isaac, we're told, right back in Genesis 24, went out to the field one evening to meditate now he didn't have the bible to meditate on all he had was the book of nature an open book that everyone can read and if we read the book of nature carefully if we notice and observe and consider if we contemplate broad and thorough then we get a return on our investment and it's like it's like approaching a piece of art. So, Ken Geyer, author of a book, um, writes, if we stand before a Van Gogh, for example, and see only the brilliance of his colours, we've not seen Van Gogh, only the palette from which he worked. If we only see sunflowers and starry nights, and the sad people in his pictures, we've seen more than colours, but we haven't seen Van Gogh. If, on the other hand, we sense in these pictures a passionate search for God and a compassionate reach for people, we've seen the artist. We've seen through the paint and the picture to glimpse something of his soul. And I believe that we are invited to notice, observe, consider, contemplate broad and thorough the wonderful world that God has made to learn from it and to glimpse something of the soul of God, its creator. Well, what do we need for our lesson? Well, firstly, we need time and place. I don't think we need a lot of time, although it should be time when we don't feel rushed, and I don't think we need to be in the heart of the countryside either, actually, although we do need to be able to observe nature. It could be as simple as five minutes of contemplation of the cactus on your desk. It could be as simple as that. But if you can get into the countryside or to the coast, and you can spend more time without agenda and without distraction, all the better. So we need a time and a place, and we need an object of our attention or a subject. The subject could be as vast as the heavens or as tiny as an ant. It could be something still or something on the move. And it doesn't have to be unusual. So again, Jesus invited us to consider wildflowers, sparrows, crows, the commonplace wildlife of his day. So we don't need to make it complicated by going out looking for something exotic. And then thirdly, we need to pay attention. Now, photographers, good photographers, understand this. If a photographer wants to get you to focus on something, there are various techniques they will use so that your eyes are drawn to the subject matter. And this is when the hard work kicks in of noticing and observing and contemplating broad and thorough. Because, almost inevitably, there will be distractions. Now, we can minimize some of those. We can switch our phones to silent, for example. But we can't stop life happening, can we? So we can't stop that bug crawling up our leg, for example. Um, Or that thought coming uninvited into your head. Or that stranger wandering over that landscape that you've been looking at so carefully. So what happens when we get distracted? we don't beat ourselves up about it. We simply acknowledge the distraction and then focus again on our subject. Or maybe, maybe this, the distraction becomes the new focus of our attention. Maybe that bug creeping up your leg is a ladybird, friend of gardeners, foe of aphids and worthy of attention in its own right. Fourthly, although maybe an extension of number three, we need to enjoy and or explore. Now often, enjoy is enough. Our subject becomes for us a prompt for a smile or even a laugh and some words of praise. Lord, that fallow deer is gorgeous. Brings joy to my heart to see it. Thank you. That's enough sometimes. We can stop there. But sometimes we explore and we ask ourselves questions. What does the subject of my attention tell me about God? How does it illustrate life? What lessons might it contain? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Psalm 42. The Lord will come, and then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer. Isaiah 35. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk chapter 1. All the splendor has departed from daughter of Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. Lamentations, chapter 1. So we've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and the sons of Korah all taking inspiration from the deer and all drawing different lessons from their own meditations. Others meditated on fig trees the vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up, surely the people's joy is withered away Joel chapter 1 all your fortresses are like fig trees with their first ripe fruit, when they are shaken the figs fall into the mouth of the eater Nahum chapter 3 now learn this lesson from the fig tree As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the end is near right at the door. Mark chapter 3. Joel, Nahum, and Jesus again, all taking inspiration from the fig tree. So this is the simple message I want to bring you this morning, that we are invited to this planet-sized classroom to learn. There's a free education opportunity that is not to be missed. Let's not be those who look back on life and regret that we missed what was offered. Let's get out into that classroom. Let's find our time, let's find our place, let's find our subject, and let's spend some time considering Focusing, enjoying, exploring the wonderful world that God has given us. And then giving thanks to the teacher for all that we have learned. Amen.